So I couldn't find a good Tower of Babel joke. But anyways, <laughs> I tried. An elderly woman had just come home from church in the evening service when she realized there was an intruder in her home. And seeing that it was in the act of robbing her home of her valuables, she yelled, stop, Acts 238. Hearing her, the burglar stopped dead in his tracks and stood motionless. And the woman calmly called the police and explained what was going on. As the officer cuffed the man to take him in, he asked the burglar, why did you just stand there? All the lady did was yell a Bible verse at you. Bible verse, said the burglar. She said she had an axe in 238. <laughs> All right. It's good to laugh. <laughs> so remember that the next time you come upon a burglar. I don't think I tried out, but okay. <clears throat> if you've ever had the joy or the privilege to uh, go on a missions trip to a foreign land, then you know how frustrating it can be to not be able to speak to the people you're with because of the language difference. I've spent about eight months of my life in Italy, spread out through many years, as my husband taught there every winter. And as we met with believers and spent time there, and of course I got to know them year after year, but it was so frustrating to not be able to sit down with the women and talk. We did motions, hand language, and all that kind of stuff. So the reason for that whole struggle goes back to what we're studying today in Genesis. So I think it's so kind of God to reveal to us how multiple languages originated. But before we look at that, we are first introduced to what is commonly called the Table of Nations, which is Genesis chapter 10. Here God provided us with the knowledge of where we came from and the truth that God has continued to bless humanity despite their ongoing rebellion towards him. We saw in the prophecy of Noah regarding his two sons and grandson that God blessed the descendants of Japheth and Shem, having cursed one of the descendants of Ham named Canaan. The descendants of Japheth would be blessed with very large territory, but the spiritual blessings for all families of the earth would come through the line of Shem. And this was fulfilled, and actually the fact that each of us is sitting here today in this room studying the word of God together is a testimony to the fact that this prophecy was fulfilled. In the book of Acts, we have illustrated the gospel reaching to these three family groups of mankind from the three sons of Noah. The Ethiopian eunuch was saved, and then we have Saul of Tarsus was saved, and then Cornelius. So then we see descendants from Ham, Japheth, and Shem all coming to faith in fulfillment of this prophecy Noah made so long ago. So we begin with a brief survey of the table of nations presented to us in the genealogy of chapter 10. I'm not going to read chapter 10. <laughs> and do that exercise in pronunciation. But at any rate, this chapter is divided into a survey of about 70 descendants of Noah's three sons, and these would include a mixture of names of individuals, as well as cities, as well as the groups of people that made up nations. In 2 through 5, we see Japheth's children, which include Gomer. Historians identify these to be the people who settled north of the Black Sea and later spread into Europe. And one of Gomer's sons is Ashkenaz, which is a term, interestingly, used for Jewish people from northern Europe. Um, those who may have genetic testing done are always asked if you have Ashkenazi Jewish in your background. As one writer said, this people group settled then in France as the Gauls, in Spain as Galicia, in Britain as the Celts, 
Further developments have given us Gomerland, which becomes Cumberland, Umbria, Ireland, and the ancient ancestors of Welsh. Some of Gomer's sons, sons also settled in what we would know as Germany today. And then, of course, the rest we know settled in Russia. These were Magog, Tubal, and Meshech, equal to Moscow, Tobolish, uh, and these are two cities in Russia. The last son of Japheth is Javan, uh, believed to be the father of the Greek people. So you may real recognize one of his sons' name was Tarshish. That is the city that Jonah tried to flee from when he decided he didn't want to obey God. And that was thought to be in Spain. So the broad picture we see here is that God certainly fulfilled his word to enlarge the territory of Japheth into Europe and parts of Asia as well. Now, it's wonderful to have all of this land, but these are still people without hope spiritually. And that is why we're thankful for the descendants of Shem, which will bless all the families of the earth. So that brings us to Ham in verses 6 through 20. And his family was divided, some going into Africa, others migrated east to Arabia. Arabs today are a combination of Ham and Shem. It would seem that the Asian peoples are likely descendants of Ham, as verses 15 through 17 speak of Heth and Sinite, who appear to have connections to the Chinese culture. When the Hittite empire of 800 years fell, survivors fled eastward towards China, and the Sinites is a name widely found in the east, uh, T-S-I-N, not sure how to pronounce that, became a dynasty in China. That brings us to the beginning of the genealogy of Shem, and it's just finished off in chapter 11. But we see here that Shem was the father of all the children of Eber. It's through this line, then, that Abraham will come. The term Hebrew most likely means crossover or beyond, in the sense that those who lived across the Euphrates River crossed over just as Abraham did. So the point of all these names given in this chapter is that God is going to bless all the nations of the world, through this one man and his seed, Abraham, from whom the Messiah, Jesus, would ultimately come. And we'll see more of this as we get to the end of chapter 11. So these are the beginnings of all the people groups on the earth that all came from these three families, from the three sons of Noah. So this is where we all come from, all of us here. But of greater importance is to know, where are you going? And God has made that possible because he fulfilled his promise in Scripture through the person and work of Jesus Christ, who paid for our sin and our indifference and our rebellion to God. As he hung on the cross, he became sin for us so that he would give us his righteousness. And therefore, we can be forgiven and be made a part of his family when we call on him to be our Lord and Savior and surrender our life and authority, his authority over us. So that brings us then to chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel. Now, the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we'll be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth, which ironically, that's what God, you know, said to do. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, they all have the same language, and this is what they've begun to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. So come, let us go down and 
They are in confused their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there uh, over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, the name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. So this important passage has been given to us in Scripture, and it explains how the nations came to be all over the world and divided into different language groups, showing us different ethnic groups and languages and territories of people. We read in verse 1 that at this point, everybody on earth spoke the same language. How nice would that have been? And chapter 11 is written really to tell us how the nations came about. And as you realized in your study, I'm sure that the events of the Tower of Babel happened before the nations settled in their territories that we looked at chapter 10. So they're not chronological. But this was important for Moses as he's the one writing this, writing to the Jewish people, wanting them to understand the scattering of the nations and also to let Israel know that their priority must be to obey God's will and his word. Because if they failed to do so, they too would end up scattered, just like all the Gentile nations. We see in our study today how great, uh, how God rather treats rebellious nations. Even his chosen people who failed to obey his word would end up scattered. God always deals with the sins of pride and rebellion. And not just on a national level, on an individual personal level too. We read in the New Testament, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And the idea of resist is he stiff arms. So, you know, when we think we know better than everybody and we're always right, that's just the evidence of our sinful pride and God is opposing us. Not a good way to live. And it impacts you and I today, this um, battle with our sin of pride. So let's look at the rebellion here that we see so clearly with this group of people at Babel. First of all, we read that the earth spoke, as I said, one language, and uh, all the people at that time spoke that one language. They traveled east from Mount Ararat, and then they settled in the land of Shinar, which today is modern-day Iraq. And this was a very fertile area because it was close to the Tigris rivers and the Euphrates rivers, and so they decided that was a good place to settle, even though God had said right after the flood was over to fill the earth, multiply, and scatter around the earth and not stay together. But they liked this area, and they all decided we're just going to stay put here. So in verse 3, we read that while they were there, thinking Shinar was going to be their permanent home, they decided to do something that would have come, would have kept them from scattering over the earth. We see their hearts of rebellion and pride in verse 4. Come, let us build for ourselves a city whose top will reach to heaven. Let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So first thing we see here from this mindset is they reveal their rebellious pride as they're going to build this city and this tower as a memorial, you know, to themselves and how great they are. They wanted to glorify themselves so everyone would be impressed with their amazing accomplishments. They saw no need to obey what God had told them to do. There's certainly nothing new from the time of our ancestors that we're looking at to today. It was all about accomplishments and exalting self, full of the sin of pride. They ignored God's word. They ignored his authority over their lives. This was a revolt against God that was led by a man named Nimrod. He was the founder of the first world empire. He established cities. He built a kingdom. But he was truly a wicked man, a tyrant, 
and a dictator and a warrior who fought and killed people ruthlessly in order to establish his own kingdom. Nimrod then leads the way for man to defy God by making a name for themselves. This is really exactly what Romans chapter 1 teaches, which we're going to study in January. Uh, that ancient man chose not to glorify God, chose not to be thankful to God, and the heart of man was then darkened by God and became full of foolish speculations. And this is where humanism comes from today. It's an obsession all about the accomplishments of man. And the root of man's sin is independence from the authority of God. I'll live my way, how I want, do what I want. People then, as today, want the glory and attention for their own accomplishments, refusing to give him glory. So it's not just true about nations. It's true with each of us as individuals as well. How often we have goals or things that we do to want to look good in front of people so they think higher of us than they ought to think, which ultimately just leads to idolatry. It is the love of self and putting self above God and leads to a love for money, career, fame, materialism, and on and on it goes. It was the sin of pride that led to the worship of false religion. And that's what happened. We see this in let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. It was not a matter of building something really tall. We want to make a skyscraper. I mean, if they were going to do that, they would have stayed put on Mount Ararat and started from a high place. But in this case, this was about the Tower of Babel, uh, a zodiac on top of it. It was to reach to heaven. It was to be dedicated to the heavens as a place of worship. And you probably know a number of ziggurats that were found by archaeologists in this region. And the ziggurat is a multi-story temple dedicated to the worship of the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets. The priests of this false religion hope to get knowledge from the stars. It's an open and defiant turning away from the creator to worship the creation, certainly instilled by Satan himself. This is why the Bible pronounces a curse on those who consult the sun, moon, and stars, and heavenly bodies as their way for religion and knowing the future. And this is where, obviously, astrology first began. And the Babylonians developed it further. They divided the sky into sections and then gave meanings to each section based on the stars that were located there. So each section then, whatever you were born under, that was the sign that you had, and so you can look to the stars for your future. So you see this tower was in open defiance of God's system of worship, which, as you know, was to come to God humbly with a blood sacrifice to cover your sin, just as Adam had done, Abel had done, Noah had done. But with Nimrod and the people following him, this was completely rejected. And it's interesting how many people live by astrology today. I mean, it's scary to me that Christians would actually check the horoscope. Really? This is its base. It's evil. The, this was the rejection of the creator, as I said, for the worship of his creation. And this is where organized false religion began, and it continues all over the world to this day. I remind you, we saw with Cain, he was the first person to start his own religion as a personal approach. I'll approach God my way. But now this is a whole um, national group of people starting false religion. And when God scattered the people from Babel, they took with them the corrupt forms of the false worship they had begun, and so it shows up all over the world in different formats. 
The false re religions throughout the world will ultimately culminate during the tribulation when the Antichrist, he will head up a one-world false religion that the whole world embraces, as seen in Revelation 17. So what this shows us is that mankind is not basically good, even though many in education would say that that's the case. He has always been defiant to God. In reality, religion is something that is not good because it rejects God's truth that says the only way to him is through a blood sacrifice. Mankind rebelled in the first place because they are totally self-centered. They want to live independent of God and in opposing God's way of salvation. How many people say, my God would not do that because it is their God that they've created in their own minds. And he's very much like a man. Now we see God's judgment in verses 5 through 9. <clears throat> so how does God respond to this defiance? In verse 5, God is pictured as coming down and investigating the situation. It's not that God doesn't know what's going on <laughs> in glory on his throne. It's just given to us in human terms uh, as he looked at the situation. In verses 6 and 7, God recognized that man was such a sinful creature, and he had given creative skills to mankind to do so many things and if they continue to speak the same language they were going to accomplish even greater things in total defiance to God and we're not told exactly how this happened what a miracle but he changed people's minds so that they could not understand anybody outside their own family that must have been I mean an incredible event so now without understanding each other, they couldn't work together. So they stopped building their big project of the tower to the heavens. And they just left and went off with members of the people, that, of their family units that spoke the same language. This is how God moved people out from Shinar. In verses 8 and 9, what they had refused to do in obedience to God, now they were forced to do as God judged them. And interestingly, Babel in Hebrew means confusion. And it's from these family units and tribes that the nations of the earth began as well as their various false religions but it's interesting that from Genesis 10:25, in Peleg's day the earth was divided into nations and Peleg was was only a couple hundred years removed from Noah so it's mind-bending that it's only a matter of a few hundred years and everybody's forgotten about you know the flood where the whole world perished but those in the ark because God is just, God, uh, he will not overlook sin. People who defy him, who unite against him, God will deal with in his time. God destroyed their unity by confusing their language, and these people who wanted nothing but a big name for themselves, well, they got a name for themselves, yeah, you're the group who made a whole bunch of babbling confusion, that's your name. God wants from his creation submission to him and to his word, and that is what he wants from each of us as well. As the book of Genesis now begins to shift the focus from uh, the events that we have seen, it's going to focus now on one family that will unfold the whole plan of redemption. So the end of chapter 11, the genealogy is returned to as the focus on the branch of Abraham. We had the interruption of the genealogies that had begun in 10, then the Tower of Babel story. And Moses picks it up again here with the line of Shem to reveal that God's special blessings are promised through Shem's line and that these blessings will affect everyone in the whole world. The generation of people listening to Moses reading this account of their past history would not have been able to understand how they survived the flood 
and how it related to their father Abraham unless all these dots were connected and the bridge was presented. So the sons of Shem are given to us in 12 through 26. And God begins to give very specific individuals' names as he narrows down the genealogy tree. We go back to the time right after the flood as Shem has a son named um, Arpashad, who then became the father of Shelah. From Shelah is born Eber, where we get the name Hebrew from. From Eber came Peleg, who Gera would come from. And if we were to compare the genealogy from chapter 5 to 11, we see the lifespans as well begin to sharply decline. I mean, Noah lived 950 years. But Shem, his son, lived 600. And then his son, Arpashad, lived 438 years and Eber 464. So it was gradually less and less years of living. And there's an ever sharper decline in longevity when we get to Peleg. And there's a man named Ru in the list here, R-E-U. He's really not identified as a specific site, but interestingly, his name is here and then in Luke's genealogy of chapter 3, verse 35, as well as a man named Sureg, again, only seen again in Luke 3.35. And he had other relatives of Abraham, and other relatives of Abraham have names that are all from the Mesopotamian cities. Nahor, in verse 24, is the grandfather of Abraham, and he had a brother by the same name. And Nahor lived only 148 years, so I have a really sharp decline in longevity um, compared to those before. The last name listed is Terah, the patriarch of the clan that Abraham came from. His name heads the story of Abraham because that starts in verse 26. This is the critical link as the transition from early Genesis to the time of the patriarchs is about to begin in chapter 12. And we will study this next September. Terah fathers children at a much later age than the others, and his household is one of idolatry. So interesting that Abram came from a home of idol worship. But God called him out, and Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The rest of the book of Genesis then will follow the life of Abraham and each of his descendants. These are the men that God is going to make a covenant with and make the nation of Israel with. And it's interesting that God is still calling out people to follow him even people who come from very pagan families, just like Abram. So as we finish our study of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, I hope that you have grown in your knowledge of the Word of God. I hope it's benefited your spiritual life. How amazing that we have seen the power of God in his creation. And then to gain understanding into the fact that people are created in the very image of God. And we've seen the fall of man and the impact. I mean, the very first family, a brother killing his brother. And of course, we personally experience the evidence of the curse given on Eve because all women struggle um, to want to control their husbands just as Eve was cursed, that that would be the case, while suffering, let's face it, from the period to given birth to menopause, whatever. (laughs) It's the whole shebang that, thank you very much, Eve brought on to us, so... Uh, We have seen the particular individuals who have walked with God, like Enoch and Noah. They were faithful in their worship to God in a world full of violence and wickedness. They stood alone, and they really are a legacy for us. We, too, can stand alone in a world that really does hate God. So we've learned of the power and justice of God to bring judgment to the entire creation which he himself made. 
a world of people and animals that were all destroyed except for those in the ark, and how quickly mankind ignored God and defied him as they went their own independent ways, opposing him yet again. We saw the rainbow that reminds us every time we see one of the trustworthiness and faithfulness of God to keep his promises, even to people who mock him and mock his coming. And the Tower of Babel gives us an understanding as to how the nations were formed and languages now that exist. From the genealogies, we've seen listed God's sovereign control of choice. You know, so many people have a real problem with God's choosing individual people for his purposes and for his glory. But this is always the way it has been. God chose in time this particular family, this particular son, and on and on it goes. As he chose this nation to be the one his promised Messiah would come through. Our ancestors were all pagans, and yet God intervened to reveal the truth about himself to us through his word. So what an honor it is to be able to know where we've come from, ladies, and be able to trust his word so that we actually know where we're going to go when we die. It ought to be a cause for us to fall down and worship with such grateful hearts to the Lord for his incredible kindness and grace in our lives. Our study of this book reminds us there's nothing new under the sun. Our culture... Our time in history is just like the peoples we've studied. Mankind has always gravitated to self-glory rather than worship of their creator. I don't really know where each of you stand with the Lord. Is your life lived with the focus being you? Or do you live with the focus wanting to glorify God by being obedient to him, his word, and submissive that you actually do, you know, what his word says? To be a follower of Jesus is to come from out from the world and to be separate from the world. It's to renew our mind, as Romans 12 tells us to do, so that we don't live our lives dictated by our culture and its values and its pride. Self-willed, independent people filled with pride have always existed since the beginning of time. But God gives us the courage and strength to be different, to come out and be separate, and to live a life characterized by giving him glory. That's why we were created. That's why you were born. I hope this Christmas season gives each of us pause to consider the unbelievable condescension of Jesus, the creator that we just studied, who made everything that we saw in our study, who willingly left the glories of heaven and became a frail human baby, a little baby boy to be raised by a teenage girl. He came into a world full of pain and disappointment and rejection. He experienced everything, yet without sin. He is that promised one that we saw when we saw Genesis 3.15. And then seen through the godly line of Seth, Noah, and Shem. So my hope and prayer is that each of us here knows not only where we have come from more clearly, but most importantly, where are you going to go when this life is over? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for so much that you've given us, so much that we can understand to know our own roots in history. I thank you, Lord, for the men who have been such a great example to us. I pray that we would emulate them, that we would live to give you glory, that we would not shame you and blaspheme you by sinful attitudes, words, behavior, Lord. I pray we would be different from the culture that we are in, Just as Noah 
and others were different from the lands that they were in. I pray that you'll strengthen us as we go our separate ways today. I thank you, Lord, for the food you've provided so graciously that we are blessed to have. I thank you for your love for us. I pray you'll protect each one here as they go their separate ways, some traveling long distances over the Christmas break, and others will, who knows what's going to come in the next few weeks, Lord. We thank you that you know. I pray for any woman here, Lord, who maybe doesn't know for sure her destiny when she passes away. Lord, I pray that you will open her eyes to understand clearly who you are and that each one of us born are sinners, just like the people that we've studied, that we're no different at all. And the only way we can be forgiven is by faith in the work that you did on our behalf on the cross. I thank you, Lord, for your kindness and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.